Hello, and welcome to the Entrepreneur Show with Ace Laveau. I am your divinely queer host, Ace Laveau. I'm very glad that you have taken the time to be in the right space at the right moment for the right purpose. Yes, I'm letting you know. If you're joining in right now, you don't have to do anything else. You can stop scrolling on social media. You can stop swiping right on people who are attractive or, you know, let's just face it, not that attractive. <laughs> you can stop answering all the messages and you can just be present in the moment and listen to uh, this co-created show that I have planned for you today. I really do hope, pray, and think about the the joyful day that you're having. And if it's not joyful, guess what? You can change your feeling. You really can. If you haven't heard that today or all week or all month or even all year, I'm letting you know you have the power to change your current state of being. So as you listen to this show, I dare you, I double dog dare you to slap a smile on your face. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and so if you are not really understanding what this whole entrepreneur thing is all about, let me just go on and help you out. So the entrepreneur, uh, just the word, how did I come up with that word? I needed a place that would allow me the ability to talk about two things that mean so much to me. The fact that I identify as being queer, and let me go even a step further, how I identify, uh, my pronouns are he, him, and uh, my sexual orientation, my sexuality is viewed as pansexual or omnisexual, which means if you're pretty, I'm probably going to slide in your DM a little bit. I'm just going to put that out there. So it doesn't matter uh, what genitalia you have what clothing you have, anything like that. But for me, I'm pan. And so, like I said, if you're pretty, I'm going to slide through and see what it do. Uh, and so I wanted to talk about all that encompasses uh, pansexuality, queerness, LGBTQ+, as well as business. I really enjoy business. And I have been an entrepreneur coach for years now. And so with my clients, I was always like, wow, the, when I talk to queer-identified clients, there's a synergy that I'm not always able to manufacture when I talk to someone who self-identifies as being straight or heterosexual. And so I needed a space that really spoke to me and spoke to other people like me. And so that's how the word entrepreneur came about and then the entrepreneur show with Ace Laveau came out as well. And uh, this is probably our 16th, 17th actual show. And I must say, it has taken all this time to finally bring to you someone who is trans. I am often, uh, I often post and I often say in person, to support trans rights, support trans kids, support trans teens, because I am not under the falseness of the fact that, you know, it can be, no, it is. <laughs> Let's just be totally clear. It is, for a lot of trans people, much tougher, much tougher. 
especially when you talk about what it means to be a person of color who is trans, um, the things that a lot of them have had to experience are still experiencing. We've seen in news recently, when I say recently, within the last few months, where there are people who become villainized by just expressing love for a trans person, especially a trans person of color. I know in Oklahoma City, where I'm from, we've had um, a, a string, um, a string that I do not find joy in of trans people being murdered for one reason or another, and that they're not being enough done. So I say all that to say, if you identify within the LGBTQ plus space, and you don't understand the T of that, and you don't include the T, I am telling you, I am asking you, I am begging you to reconsider what it means to be family under that, that umbrella term and really dig deeper into what someone else's existence, what someone else's life could actually look like or what it could taste like what their life could sound like and knowing that it could be different from yours, but you could be um, a safe space for them. And so without further ado, I would like to welcome um, the, the guest for the Entrepreneur Show today. Uh, please help me welcome Lasea Wade. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Doing very good. I'm very excited to have you on, uh, not just because of how you identify, but also because of what you're actually doing in the world. I I learned about you through an article, and I was like, wow, they are really doing the damn thing. And I just really appreciate um, your your life, what you are committed to. Um, before we even go any further, just for our listeners, please let us know how you identify. My name is Lafaya Wade. I go by she and they pronouns. Mm-hmm. I identify as a queer Afro Puerto Rican trans woman um, that is queer pansexual. Got it. And thank you for being all those things because there is. Um, some little human out there in the world that may not even know that to be you is a possibility and that's in store for them. So I just thank you for being you out loud and you in color. Um, I think that's important. I really think that's important to be vocal about your existence because somebody else may be struggling with that. Me coming from Oklahoma, people don't... (laughs) see a lot. I know I didn't see anything growing up that even resembled what I am now. And so representation matters for sure. So Very much so. Yeah. And there may be a chance that the name Lasaya Wade, and I'm saying your name correctly, please, right? <laughs> yes. Okay. So Lasaya Wade, who this human is and why they should care. And I think they should. So please let them know more, a little bit about what you do um, and how that may benefit someone that they may know. 
Well, I am the executive director and founder of Brave Space Alliance, which is the first LGBTQ center on the south side of Chicago that is fully led by black and brown trans people. Um, also a core organizer for Black Lives Matter, as well as Trans Liberation Collective, also a core organizer for Black Transgender Performance Collective here in Chicago. As well as I do a lot of policy writing, a lot of policy work nationally. Um, I do hold two master's degrees, a master's in business management and also a master's in accounting. So I do a lot of work that does a lot of policy writing, um, a lot of work around transgender nonconforming people throughout Chicago and the state and also nationally, nationally as well. Wow. So that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. Uh, first off, how do you, I'm going to ask this question before I go ask anything else. What's your, what do you do for self-care? Like how do you maintain you with giving so much of yourself to others? I'm still figuring out what self-care looks like, right? I'm only 32 mm-hmm. years old, and I have done so much. Um, self-care is the simple things, being able to eat pizza with my partner or being able to watch movies with my partner or taking mm-hmm. um, my gay child, uh, my daughter, to the nail shop, which we're actually on our way there later on this afternoon. Um, being able to get a facial or get laser done. Them little small things allow me to take little increments of breath for myself um, to keep pushing forward because, you know, I I want to feel beautiful like everyone else. I should have the right mm-hmm. to be able to feel beautiful like everyone else. So, yeah. I'm glad you said that. Um, as people who you know, identifies LGBT plus, but they are also in the, you know, the business space for profit, not for profit, things that may even be intrapreneurial, which means you have this entrepreneurial aspect to your job, um, but a lot rests on the results that you can give your organization. Sometimes that we don't always talk about self-care and it's just like grind, 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 hustle, hustle, mm-hmm. hustle, hustle. And then you work yourself, you know, you just, you know, you work yourself into this trap of just going, like you're on this hamster wheel, and then you look up one day, and you're 50, you're 60, you've never been, you've never done anything for yourself. Um, Everything has been about everybody else. And though I understand and value being of service, my thing is, you have to take care of you. And so I'm just glad that you at least have something that you're doing to make all that happen. Now, here's one of the things that caught me when you were just talking about what it is that you do. Being from Oklahoma and never have been to Chicago. I've never, I've been all over the world, but I've never been to Chicago, but I've heard stories and I've met people from explicitly the South side of Chicago. So tell me what it might be like for a trans person of color living in the south side of Chicago. I love south side of Chicago. Um, a lot of people have their own stories and own fabrications of uh, illustrations around south side of Chicago. But I also, again, I have to talk about my own privilege, right? In some cases, as a black trans woman, that is perceived as passable. I've never had that feeling. 
that notion of a lot of violence towards me, right? The only notion mm-hmm. of, for me for violence is sexual assault or men pushing themselves on me, and then I have to explain to them that I am not the type of woman that you probably want to have interest in because I'm trans. And then some verbal analogy or some verbal conversation might take place. But it, 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 it's a part of life, right, as a, as a woman, um, of having a conversation. But then we go into conversations around non-passability or what we perceive as non-passability, uh, non-passable trans people. The violence is going and going to be a little bit higher because of people's ignorance, because of people's lack of understanding around trans people, and also the lack of resources that are on the outside for trans people. To, to, to transition the way they want to transition, right? So they do right. multiple things on multiple different levels to actually be able to push through on the south side. Now, for me, within these last few years of doing organizing on the south side, doing this particular work on the south side, I'm, we have pushed into, like, what does it look like for the girls to come together to have conversation around where have you received violence? What's, what's the type of violence that you're receiving? How can we protect each other? So that's the different level of the particular type of violences that we are changing on the South Side. So the the ways of violence that is being seen and being done changes throughout the years of right? having these particular type of conversations, of actually showing people that trans people are not a threat. Trans people are not violent. Trans people are not sexual people that do sexual uh uh, deviancy of what perceives as uh, social no- uh, disnormities against society, right? And we are pushing it back against that particular type of narrative. And I'm excited to see what the future holds because the particular type of laws that have changed in Chicago over the years of us working with the aldermen, the governor, and the mayor to actually push these laws into existence to show that, mm-hmm. yo, you can't treat me like a dog and think you're going to shoot me on a street corner. That's just that's that's just not going to work. Um, so we do particular things, you know. I love the South Side of Chicago. I I don't want to move from the South Side of Chicago. If there's a bigger paycheck for me somewhere, I might just move from somewhere mm-hmm. from the South Side of Chicago. Uh, but as of right now, that does not look like the plans in my future because I I am invested in the work on the South Side. I am also invested in change of politics and the outlook of the South Side, right? Um, so yeah, I love the South Side of Chicago. I love being around black people. I love doing the work with black people. I take my time and patience with black people. So the notion of, you know, black people don't know nothing, black people like all the worst are ignorant people that don't know what love actually looks like to extend to other black people being black. So are you saying that you don't have the experience of there being a lot more injustice, a lot more hmm, violence now, when you say against black people. Then when you talk about injustice against black people, yes. You talk about violence against from the police. You're talking about redlining. You're talking about how um, the taxes and the the unjust of pitting towards cars. Now, when you talk about black people of a, of a whole, that's a whole different type of conversation. Because structurally, Chicago is fucked up, and also Chicago is pretty much still a segregated city. It is a segregated city, and we don't normally want normally talk about 
what that segregation looks like because we're trying to already push a different outlook, but we have to have them conversations around redlining. We have to have the conversation around higher taxes on the South Side. We have to have conversations around it over ticketing on the South Side than the North Side, how black people are treated all together, how they're trying to take out all the schools on the South Side and the funding on the South Side for schools goes to the North Side, right? So in that mm-hmm. particular case, yes, there's a whole different level of injustice around resources, around money, around allocating resources on the South Side. That is a whole other conversation that, that's really like earth centers and a part of the work that we do at Brave Space as well. So with all of the policy work that you're doing, and you're and it's whole, the redlining, which of course is very real, um, getting, talking to the Ottomans, the city council, because that's where a lot of work, when it, when you have, when we have issues with our laws or our elected officials, usually it's not necessarily what's on the national level, it's usually what's on the, the local level. And so uh-huh. with that being said, with, I personally see that there is not as much political activism within the LGBTQ community, within people of color. Like if I'm mm-hmm. talking to a group of, you know, 20 year olds um, that are identified one of those letters in that umbrella and they're, and they're of color, I'm not getting this sense of let's be politically active or, mm-hmm. or you know, just, known, aware of what's happening, it feels like there's, even though they have some type of dis, disdain for Donald Trump, there still isn't a real desire or knowledge about what's happening on the local level and why their voting on that level matters. So there's many different what, you, reasons why that happens, right? The youth are more concerned about how, how they're going to survive, right? Youth are more concerned about, like, mm-hmm. oh, my parents have kicked me out, on the, and now I'm living on the street corner, and how I'm going to eat, and how I have to do unprotective sex work to actually be able to survive the next day. Mm-hmm. I have to do these particular things to be able to have a roof over my head. Why should I have to vote for him when he's not paying my bills? I need to do what I have to do to pay my bills. That's the last mm-hmm. of my minds, right? Now, when 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 BSA came into play, we have a whole notion like if we're going to maneuver resources the way we want to maneuver resources and change the dynamic that we want to change, we have to meet people's basic needs. We have to buy yeah. mutual aid groups to actually support housing, safer sex work, and also employment justice, right? So we, we try to meet them basic needs and then move into political information, political knowledge, how you can actually use your political information and political knowledge to push yourself to the next level of arriving and not just surviving. We need to understand that we're not just trying to make our community survive. We're trying to push our community to thrive. Um, so that is, them are the main issues of like basic uh, uh, economic basic issues that we need, the baseline of what, how we are supporting the community the way we need to support them. And if somebody is listening right now that is in that stage of total survivability and to thrive is not even on their agenda because they literally they haven't eaten. 
and they are going from couch to couch to place to place and sometimes not a couch and not a place. What are mm-hmm. some things that you would offer them in this moment um, that can make a difference for them? So for us, we have the different connections with uh, uh, shelters throughout Chicago, pushing them to do trainings around LGBT. Also, we have uh, connections with other organizations throughout Chicago to make sure they get health care, to make sure they get STIs or HIV testing, to make sure they can actually uh, get food stamps and figure out ways to get food stamps to make sure they are able to eat. So we have different connections with organizations so we don't recreate a wheel that what we're doing. A lot of organizations don't do political uh, political analysis or political knowledge. BSA does, right? Because it's very important when we talk about working in these uh, working in these companies or even the nonprofit complex, they're fucked up. So how can we give pushback and and pushback in when these in these companies and nonprofit complexes when we don't have the information or the knowledge to tell them like what you just did is against this 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 law and also in the handbook this 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 is this this and this I can actually sue you for right so we give that political analysis we give that pushback to nonprofit companies um, we're the, on the first line of defense for trans and not performing an LGBT rights in the South South Chicago. Got it. And did all of this come from? Which is okay. First off, all that's needed. And I thank you for being a part of um, a systematic and a multi-layered systematic approach to um, making a difference. And in you, the way you talk about it, I must ask: Did have you experienced some of these things yourself? Yes, I have. I've been homeless. I were kicked out when I was younger, when I was 16 years old. Um, I lived in a hotel when I had to pay weekly uh, to survive. I worked at a care care prevention center, uh, working with mentally challenged people, and um, and pushed my way through college. Um, and then I also am a survivor of uh, domestic violence. I had to um, even go stealth. And if you don't know what stealth is, it's actually a trans woman not just, uh, not, show, not telling you that she's a trans person, but walking through daily life as a cisgender person. I had to go mm-hmm. stealth through a women's shelter because of the abuse that I received from this um, past relationship. So it was, it's, it's, it's different levels that I had to go through, right? And moving back home after that, um, after that silence, I promised myself moving forward, I will always at least have one type of resource um, to give my siblings to to push them forward into the next level of, or next stage of their life. Got it. And if there was one thing during that time that you were experiencing those things, if there, even though, of course, we understand you needed multiple resources, multiple things, and, and luckily you were able to benefit from a few resources. But if they're looking back at it, if there was a common denominator as far as a one thing, what do you feel like that one thing could have been that would have helped you more or helped you consistently? Let me let me make this clear. I didn't have any resources, right? I was in okay. the South uh, 
in Tennessee where there was no resources for, and especially for black trans people. Um, mm-hmm. I had to push myself to the next level of, like, you're going to respect me and you're going to understand that the resources that you have to take it to give it, like, trans to not performing people, and we need to talk about what equity looks like, right? Um, we might need a little bit more than the, than the norm, um, and what does that look like to give us a little bit more uh, because that we've been uh, disproportionately displaced in this, mm-hmm. in this what we quote-unquote quote, uh, say is white are for everyone, right? But you don't think white are for trans people, and you seeing us less than. Um, it was very important to, like, push that particular type of narrative. Um, and that one particular thing that I wish I would have been able to have is something that was particularly pointed for trans and not performing people and a listed out method of how to get through something but society says that we're not allowed to get through anything. Mm-hmm. I get that. Yeah. I really do get that. I do get that. And when you were going through these things, did you... I get, I'm asking the question because I really don't know. Did you receive a lot of pushback or non-support from the other letters? So lesbians, bisexuals, queer-identified, gay men, did you receive a lot of pushback from them? Yes, we we continue to see. I mean, to the day we receive that particular type of pushback. Like, I know we continue to have a conversation like trans people have a lot. When we don't have really nothing, we're actually straight any, right? We have to mm-hmm. pull in our different intersections to actually have conversations around like women's rights, reproductive rights, um, black rights, and, and all them intersections. I we all hold, right? So mm-hmm. we we scraping these particular type of pennies to say, oh, I got a hundred pennies. Now I got a dollar. Now I need to figure out how I want to get the rest of these nine dollars to give me a burger or two burgers to make sure I can survive the rest of the day. So mm-hmm. in them scraping them particular type of pennies, no, we don't have a lot. And then giving that push particular type of pushback around misogyny, around patriarchy, around uh whiteness, around uh white supremacy, and also around a lot of black gay men or black lesbian women wanting to be a part of a particular type of class, a particular type of privilege that they can actually get through because they're gay or lesbian and knowing that trans people can't get through this particular gate and knowing that they're sexualized in a particular way through whiteness, um, I have to get that particular type of pushback, right? And when we talk about a particular type of privilege, I'm going to be blunt about it. The BBCs of the world, you know? Um, what does it look like all our data is black men or what does it look like all our data is black women and the sexualization within our own communities around the particular type of bodies and that particular mm-hmm. type of privilege of moving them resources on cisgender narratives. Thank you for saying that. Um, mm-hmm. because, yeah, because I, I, I don't always... I, even though I don't like it, I do not like the hypersexualization of okay. within our culture, and I do not like it when another race overly sexualizes me. So they hit me up and they just automatically just they really just straight out ass big dick. Like I'm like my name right. is Asa. First off, 
<laughs> like, I have a name. I'm not a collection of parts for your pleasure. So, but even though I say all that, I, I will do better with my, with my language as it comes to being um, cisgendered. I will definitely do better with my language and not just be better with it, but think about how the conversation, however the conversation is playing out, how that may be taken by someone who's not. Mm-hmm. Because that's just what I, add. I mean, that's what I ask for my white counterparts or any what? other races other than black. Is I, when we're having a black lives matter conversation and they're like, well, what about us? I'm like, no, 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 no. This isn't about you mm-hmm. right now. <laughs> we'll get mm-hmm. to you in a minute. Let's talk about what's most severe, who needs the most assistance in this moment, and that may not be you. Does it mean your your fight? Go ahead. It's also a conversation around censoring, right? I had a conversation with a good friend of mine uh, a couple days ago around what censoring looks like. Like, she might have a different definition around censoring a particular type of voice, and I have a definition around censoring a different type of voice. Does not mean I don't welcome you into having this particular conversation. Does not mean I don't welcome you into having these organizing conversations. But we're going to censor these particular voices because the inequity conversation is inequity part of these conversations. We have to consider that particular type of voice, right? And what does that look like in understanding the particular type of privilege that you hold in centering that conversation and because the reasons why we're centering that type of conversation. So the multitude of like different like levels of things that we have to continue to break down. A lot of people are not ready to break down. Uh, and a lot of people are not ready to speak that type of privilege. And it's okay. Um, because you're not ready for this particular particular type of work and you're not ready for this particular type of like uh, breaking down your particular type of privilege. Well, let me come back to this when you're ready. So where are you at right now? So we don't normally want to have that conversation of like where you at right now because oh no, because I'm ready to have this revolution, but you're not really ready to have this revolution because you're gonna lose your car, you're gonna lose your house. But after mm-hmm. happens, we can build from that. Um, so you're not really ready. But um, so let me know when you're ready. I get that, and I get that from the point of. Uh, here in Oklahoma City, the Black Lives Matter organizer is a woman by the name of Sharia Moore, and she's a friend of mine, and I've had her literally cry on me because of the death threats um, that she has received because of her house being vandalized just in the name of Black Lives Matter, as though Black Lives Matter is an assault on someone else's life. Um, so you have you have a very valid point there. And then also, when... I'm saying, I'm going to say this next part for somebody who may be listening. Please, if you, let's just say you are a black gay man or a black lesbian woman or um, a Hispanic um, lesbian. And so, you, yes, we understand that you have a story and we understand that you have had an experience that may have caused tears. But please understand that you still, even in that, still have a level of privilege. So, for instance, mm-hmm. I can I can see my privilege when I think about how I eat. If you are vegan, vegetarian, um, 
pescatarian or anything, if you have the ability to say what you won't eat, that's a level of privilege. Um, being able to not be accosted into society just from the mere image of you, um, that's a level of privilege. Um, and so there's, and there's so many others, but that's just one way. Being, taking off work, uh, having a job you take off work from, not, uh, and it being, hell, being allowed to work. That's another thing. That's something that I've had to learn um, with, by tr- listening to trans stories, just the ability to have a job because your look may not be quote unquote corporate enough for the person who's denying you the job. And now you have to, by all by means necessary, find money. And that's very real. So if you're listening, please do not make it um, an Olympics of who can be the most offended or who can, whose life is harder. And can I add a little bit more? Sure, like please. A, one more context to that. These simple little things can be the biggest thing, and especially when we talk about bathroom, right? Bathroom mm-hmm. is the most privileged area a citizen person can have. Due to the fact that you don't have to think that you going to the bathroom or transfer this type of thing, am I going to get out of this bathroom? Is this bathroom a safe space for me to go to the restroom? And and then that mode, it goes into like, oh, I never thought that a person would have to think about use of restroom. Right. That is very real. Very real. And I'm glad you brought it up because that's something that. I don't have to deal with. I've never had to deal with it. Um, I will say that I was with my mother last week here in Oklahoma City uh, in downtown, and we went to a new place that served all vegan meals. Uh, Shout out to the Loaded Bowl in Oklahoma City, and they actually have two restrooms, and the names on the restrooms are called human bathrooms. And in these human bathrooms, there is no difference. So there are baby changing tables in each human bathroom. There, like all the amenities in one are in the other. So I do see it, but even though I see it, my life doesn't revolve around the possibility that I may not be in a safe space, just in a bathroom that I take for granted. So thank you for bringing that up. I'm sorry. Uh, the phone oh, no pro- for a second. Oh, okay. No problem. No problem. So, yeah. with you telling me, you know, about the type of life that you've had and the things that you've done, and so we're getting this picture of this transformation that took place. Can you tell me what it was like, though, when you were actually honored at the Chicago LGBTQA Black History Recognition Ceremony um, as the first trans woman in Illinois history to be honored in Women's History Month. Can you tell me what that's like to think about the times when you were, you know, leaving a domestic violence situation, not having any resources to now being honored? What is that like? It's an amazing feeling, right? But it's also bittersweet 
Like, mm-hmm. I think people are accolades. I think people are awards. But also with these awards, it's not helping to help our community. Um, where is the access so I can bring the, the resources to the south side? Thank you for seeing the work that I do. But also, where is the funds? Um, mm-hmm. the I want to be honest. Like, where is the funds? Thank you. Thank you, Illinois. Thank you, Chicago. You see my black ass in this <laughs> award. But also, right. you don't, you're not, you're not allocate, you're not allocate the resources for my community to survive. That award was given to me, uh, the women's, uh, Illinois women's, the first black trans woman to be in Illinois Women's History Month. That was amazing. I, I was seen across Illinois, I was seen in a way of a good light for trans people, but also Illinois, where is the millions that I need to make sure my Chicagoans on the south side thrive, right? You, you continue to allocate resources to these big organizations that are doing nothing but feed the pockets of more rich people and also right. feed the nonprofit complex that we are fighting. So it is a constant understanding of, and a constant illusion um, that we continue to get that that continue to push back on because yo I don't I don't I don't see resources that that comes with this award but thank you thank you for the award I can I think I can put this on my resume but I don't really think I can job off of it but thank you anyway right I do get it I do get it so you definitely want to be able to pull people up as you're getting more more light and more exposure and that's the whole point mm-hmm. um and that's the point of even the reason why i reached out to you because i believe that you know the brave space alliance is a place that more people should learn about so even if i may not be someone from chicago i might not be from the south side i may not even be from illinois i can learn about you and share what it is you do so in the in a in a day, if we were to walk with you in a day at the Brave Space Alliance, what would we see happening? Mm, you'll see me in a lot of meetings, that's not a lot mm-hmm. of people. Uh, uh, I do a lot of meetings here today. I do a lot of phone calls. I oversee the program aspect of the Brave Space Alliance, making sure I support future agents as they're going, making sure our pop-ups are they're going to make sure our uh, our uh, sponsors, our funders are still happy to make sure that we continue to keep the jobs that we have available and continue to make a particular type of stuff that we survive, I mean, survive instead of just surviving and pushing us to the next level, right? I continue mm-hmm. to do research on uh, different types of grants, different types of methods to get more trans in this particular type of work, and also not only get them in this work, but also make sure they can push to the next level, uh, and meaning is, like, we are not your last stop. Brave Face, I don't want Brave Face to be any of last stop. I want you to be able to go to school. I want you to be able to maneuver in a way up out of the nonprofit complex to make sure that you don't, you're not stuck. If we're doing the work that we need to be doing, Brave Space should not be existing, and we're pushing ourselves out of existence. And a lot of pro- nonprofits want to push themselves into a sustaining wheel that they continue to go and go. And that's not how the work looks. I'm pushing myself out of existence and making sure that when I leave or when I maneuver and move on from this particular type of work, it's not needed anymore. 
for. Can I just say how joyful, I literally full of joy, I am to hear you say that. As someone uh, who also runs a nonprofit organization, my thing is, I was I tell people all the time, even my work as an entrepreneurial coach, like my work is never to have this long-term experience with you. I'm coming to help you in this moment so I make myself null and void. So it's good that to hear you say that because I also live by that creed that I shouldn't have to be here for you always if, in fact, I'm meeting you where you are, showing you what needs to happen next, um, assessing where you are, and then pushing you forward. So I just really appreciate that. Thank you. I seriously appreciate that. Now, with Brave Safe Alliance, now that we understand more about what it is you do, more about the need, how is it that somebody can actually support you? And what are the various ways of support? Because, I mean, I'm just going to be real. With As an entrepreneur, I tell people often, there are so many ways that people can support you. Sometimes support looks like a like on Facebook. Sometimes it looks like a retweet. Sometimes it looks like, you know what, somebody brought a plate of food because they didn't know that I haven't eaten all day and it's 7 p.m. and I've been on the grind so much that I just haven't eaten. And sometimes it's that somebody just lets you cry in their lap. And then sometimes it's that check for $1,000. So what level of support are you uh, desiring for in this moment and how can people give that to you? If someone has $3 million to give us, please give it to us. Uh-huh. Right. That's the first thing. Um, but you can find us on bracefacemarians.org. You can find us on Twitter at uh, BSA Alliance or Bracefacemarians um, on Twitter or Bracefacemarians on Facebook. Also, we have an Instagram, right? We wanted to make sure our, our ways are, are accessible to people, a like, a share, uh, of making sure people – you, you can either have a party in your home to help uh, a birthday party to help donate some money to BSA, right? To make sure our support groups, our mutual aid groups are still going, to make sure that we are still being able to push our people to school or being able to act, uh, access the resources that we need to access. Um, there's multiple ways for people to support. If you have an old printer that you think that it might be useful to BSA, inbox us, let us know. Like, I have an old company printers that we spread out you for people like the yes would love to that furniture. We always ask people looking for furniture that's still our space. Um uh, barely used like clothes. We're looking for that as well. So we do have a drop in center on Thursdays that we do for people that, that are getting businesses or pushing them into like companies to work that we have this clothes available to them. So the different methods to support. All it takes is the inbox, and we'll let you know what, what we need in a moment. That's great. Thank you for sharing that because sometimes people aren't always aware of how to do the work. Um, with this being Black History Month, I do have, I have two more questions, two questions for you before we wrap up. First question I have is I believe that there are people that are present that are in the world that are making black history every day. And I believe definitely that there are black trans people that are making history every day. And one of the the things that I've seen 
I've been consistently for about a year. Is this thought that a black a black trans woman cannot or should not compete athletically um, in a gender specific sport um, in order to make history in that sport? And I want I would love to know. If someone's having a debate about that, but let's just say for one reason or another, there is not a trans voice in the room to to give some clarity about that. What what would you say about that? What we're seeing in the news lately? People are going to hate regardless of what it looks like. People are going to get mad because they're going to go right back on bio methods. They're going to uh, go back on um, what you was born as. A lot of people mm-hmm. don't know the logistics around being trans, and especially if you're medically transitioned like myself. I take hormones uh, weekly, and I also take a home pill daily that de- demastify me. Like, it takes the, mas- the masturbation out of my system. Um, um, and also the muscles uh, that perceived as bio methods to a masculine person, right? And also, like, for me, it's just like, if you as good as you say you is, you wouldn't mind fighting someone. You wouldn't mind uh, going against someone that's a different gender anyways. Um, my mama always say, um, hands have no gender when, you go, when it comes to that battlefield. And that's exactly mm-hmm. how I see it. Um, and, and and if you are moving in a particular way because you think that all oh, this is all these cisgender women, then girl, that that means that you think that you you're not as good as you say you is. And I'm gonna throw that, I'm gonna throw that out there, uh, and that's how I see it. I really don't involve myself with a lot of sports mm-hmm. because I'm not a sports person. Uh, um, so it's just a, it's just as simple as that for me. I it's it's just it, it's a stupid conversation. It's a stupid conversation because if you were as fast and as smart or as as angelic or as strong as people think that you are or you say you are, you know you're always going to put your A1 in the game that you're going to be playing. Got it. Got it. Thank you. That was – hey, that works for me. And the last question, my follow-up question to that have a historical uh, possibility is, is there someone that you think that we all – should know about that has brought either inspiration to you, motivation to you um, as a black trans woman that we should know about? So before I met my gay mother, Valerie Spencer, it was Mary Jones and Lucy Hendricks. Lucy, mm-hmm. is it Lucy Hendricks? 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 I believe uh, Mary Jones was the first black trans woman to be documented in American history in the 18th. Mm. Um, she stole $99 from sex work trying to get away from slavery. Um, she was caught in New York where she was caught being quote unquote seen as dressed as a woman and being documented and saying, the only issue I had with dressing this way is when my masters and slave catchers said they did not like me this way. And then particular type of word, that means that trans people, our black trans people already have a uh, lineage 
uh, being transgender, not conforming people in black history, right? Mm-hmm. They never had an issue. We already had a lane. We were, we were considered protectors, guardians, healers, teachers in Africa before slavery. And a lot of people mm-hmm. want to disconnect and, uh, and disconnect and like, oh, we, we, we are Americans now. This another. But you forget that we are not actually Americans. We are still seen as a threat in America. We're still seen as other than in America. We need to learn what our history actually looks like. The next one is Lucy Hicks. Uh, Lucy Hicks was a black trans woman in California where she got married three times, right? And that's unheard of, where a trans woman is getting constantly married and being seen as a woman. She actually owned her own business. She owned her own brothel. uh, And she maneuvered in a way of life as a woman. And also she was another black trans woman that was arrested because she was trans. And she was another black trans woman that said on documentation that if you did not notice that I was trans, you would at the end of the day see as me as a woman, which I am a woman. Um, I cook, I clean, I dress, and everything that I speak and everything that I do and speak of is about my womanhood. You will never see me as less than that in this day and moving forward and also in my past. And this particular type of words just stood with me like she didn't take no mess when it came to her woman. Mm-hmm. And, she, and if she thought that she was anything less, you had a problem, right? Um, and, and she was very intelligent in many different forms, but she was arrested because they said that she was a, tra- a man, quote, unquote, dressed as a woman, and her husband was an ex-Army person, and they were both arrested because she was getting Army benefits uh, through the United States. Um, and then the last final is, uh, Valerie Spencer, which is my mother and my mentor, and she also lives in, she resides in uh, in California, and she's been a, uh, a inspiration on my life, and also in how I do this particular type of work, and and through throughout the nation, and also through Chicago, so a uh, uh, shoulder that I can actually lean on um, as another Black trans woman, needing uh, a particular type of guidance, guidance as a Guidance in my womanhood, but also in my in my uh, educational realm as well. Um, she 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 holds her own uh, document uh, doctorate degrees and her own ways of pushing through school that allows me to push myself through school, um, as well as doing this advocacy and activism work nationwide and uh, local wide as well. So the are three people that have helped me that continue to help me um, to notice that I I was not alone. Um, there are my ancestral history uh, that I can continue to walk on the backs of my ancestors, and I can walk beside uh, my elder that said mm-hmm. that I am doing the work correctly. Now, I'm going to make sure I get these names right. So Valerie Spencer. And then you have mm-hmm. Lucy Hicks Anderson. And what was the first name? Miss mm-hmm. um, Mary Jones. Mary M-I-S-S Jones. Because mm-hmm. what I'm doing, I'm actually in real time looking these people up um, mm-hmm. because I had not heard of them and I desire to know yes. about them. Valerie, Valerie Spencer was the first black trans woman to the vagina monologue. Yeah, I'm seeing that. I'm seeing that she did a 
what's it called? It's called, it's on here already. She did something for the Lolo channel. It was a documentary called Beautiful Daughter. Uh-huh. She was featured on Beautiful Daughter, the documentary on the Lolo channel. Yes. Now that's cool. I'm look. I'm going to look this up for real. Um, I just believe in uh, finding people that have been doing the work longer than I even knew the work was being done. Um, I know for me, I recently found it wasn't a per- I wasn't a trans person, but um, I recently found an article about the first ever drag queen who was a former slave whose name. Um, was William Dorsey Swan um, in 1858 in Maryland. So stories like that, because when you compound, you know, slavery or being recently freed and just the context of the nation, and then you add sexuality, gender fluidity, uh, non-conforming on top of that, my mind is blown. Because I can only imagine. Right. <laughs> I History can only is imagine. very important. History is very important for me. It has allowed me to make my ancestry and has allowed me to push my my uh, my level of intelligence in understanding like what blackness is and what queerness actually looks like for black people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's work that I do. Thank you. And I, I really appreciate you uh, coming on. You didn't know me from Adam, didn't know me from Eve, and you said yes. Uh, to being on the podcast, I just want to say publicly, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You have made a difference for me today, intellectually. Uh, you made a difference for me emotionally, um, so that I can care about someone and a group of beautiful people that don't necessarily share my my sameness, my exactness um, as far as experience. Um, and so you've definitely helped out today. I believe that this this show um, will be beneficial for years to come so that everyone that hears it. So, again, thank you so much. No problem. And thank you for allowing me to speak on the show. Thank you for allowing me to ask the questions that you have. And I appreciate everyone that's listening. Um, and I hope you go on. And I hope you go on. And I hope everyone that goes on this, this show will be great. Um, live to thrive and live to push um, not only themselves, but also the person that's next to them and also the people that they're coming up under them forward. Indeed, indeed. So for everyone that's listening, thank you for co-creating this experience. As always, you can uh, find us on our newly created Facebook group for entrepreneurs. Um, The details and the link for that will be in the show notes, how to connect uh, to any host, uh, I'm sorry, any guest that we've had onto the show or will be in every single show note. Please leave a review. Let us know how we can provide a five-star experience for you. And as always, I am Asa Laveau. Dreams and blessings. <laughs>